Okay, I want to start the show off today by reading a text that I got yesterday after my conversation with Colby Armstrong. This text comes from Adam Krug. Yes, is the brother of Tory Krug, St. Louis Blues defenseman. Adam, by the way, had a nice little hockey career himself, is now the head coach of Adrian College, Division Three. Uh, the powerhouse that won the national championship last year, the NCAA title, going 31-1. and This year, they're 19-4-2, and and they run this thing like a pro program. Uh, I know because I got a family friend who uh, used to play there, Jacob Breckles of the uh, Breckles family in Stouffville. So, uh, yesterday on the show, and man, first of all, we got a lot of great feedback from people that either played in the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament New people who play in the Quebec PB tournament have had kids that have gone through the Quebec PB tournament. I had a sense of how legendary this thing was. I think we all do. It's one of those things that you hope you can check that box as you go through your minor hockey slash youth hockey career. But the people that have gone through it, like there is this emotional attachment and these strong, vivid memories that people have going through. Then the Colisee, now Centre Videotron, the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. You know, Fred Shiro, before the Philadelphia Flyers won their first Stanley Cup, <clears throat> when they were poised to win the uh, fourth and final game, you know, said to the Philadelphia Flyers, win today and we'll walk together forever. There's that sense of kinship, brotherhood, all of it when you win something together. When you go through anything like that, you tend to stay together forever. You have a common bond. And it seems as if people that have gone through the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament experience kind of have that as well. I'm not so sure that it exists for people that go through the brick tournament. Maybe I'm wrong about that one because the brick's a big one, folks. But there's something romantic and alluring, maybe because it's Quebec City. And it's such a beautiful, gorgeous city. Something about the Quebec Pee Wee tournament that draws the emotions out of people and the memories. So I get a text this morning, 10.20 a.m. from Adam Krug. And I checked. He's like, yeah, yeah, you can read this. That's fine. So listen to your show this morning with Colby Armstrong. Colby's kid, by the way, is playing with Pittsburgh Junior Penguins. Today they play the Junior Montreal Canadiens. Try to get an update. Maddie, can you call Colby and see if we can get an update? All right. Here's from Adam. Our little Caesars team played in 1997. The year Ryan Whitney's South Shore Kings team won. I believe he's mentioned that more than once or twice, Wood has. <laughs> Here's part. Our team lost out versus Moscow Spartak. That's Ilya Kovalchuk's squad. Like I mentioned yesterday, some heavy hitters have gone through this tournament. Ilya Kovalchuk's squad ended up in a bench-clearing brawl and essentially got kicked out of the city. We were cited as babies. That Russian team was relatively dirty, as I recall. Either way, only bench-clearing brawl in the history of that tournament, I presume. I don't know that to be true. I'm going to go ahead and assume that that was true. Bench-clearing brawl between Little Caesars and Moscow Spartak featuring Ilya Kovalchuk at the Quebec PB tournament. I'm going to guess that was the only time that happened. I could be wrong. Hockey, right? Chris Connor was our only NHLer with that group, regardless, incredible experience. He goes on. Jason Spezza is our age too, 83 birth year. Not Quebec tournament related, but boy, was he a treat to watch when we were kids. He'd kill penalties all by himself by skating around the ice with the puck a minute at a time. Yeah, that was Spezza. I remember watching him when he was young too. It was, he described the puck and it's got to be the nicest feeling in the world, knowing that whatever your brain wants to do, you have the ability to do. 
Because part of the frustration of sports, right, is your brain wants to do something and your body says, yeah, you're not ready for that yet. Jason Spetsa never had that problem. Adam goes on. My brother, Tori, his team won the tournament with his Honey Bake team in 2003. They also went on to win the USA Hockey Nationals that year. Wonder if that has been done since. Hope all is well. Love listening. Adam Krug. Head coach of Adrian College in Michigan. D3 national champions. Headed to another one. They run the pro program. It's like they're running like a pro program or a division one program for D3. They do a great job. Um, and thanks to everybody else. And I will continue to, uh, to put them on the air. Your memories as this tournament continues of either playing in, witnessing, sending kids to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. We got a lot to get to today. And a lot of the conversation is going to revolve around a tweet from an agent, Alan Walsh. So Alan Walsh last night after the Calgary Flames, uh, but disappointing performance against the Detroit Red Wings. More on them in a couple of moments. They've now won five in a row and are what? Checks notes, two points out of a playoff spot with games in hand. So the Flames, a tough one last night. Alan Walsh tweets this. <clears throat> the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I think that's an Einstein quote. Also, negativity sucks the joy right out of players. CC at NHL Flames. Now, Alan Walsh has never been a stranger to controversy. As we say before about Alan Walsh, he is more than nodding acquaintances with controversy. This adds another log onto that fire. We think of Alan Walsh and Twitter. We think of Marc-Andre Fleury, certainly with the sword. In Vegas. Like, I will say one thing. Alan Walsh keeps it real interesting. Um, I had my first go-round or my first encounter with Alan Walsh back when I was working on Hockey Night in Canada, the first time I was at Hockey Night, and I was doing the iDesk with Scott Morrison. This would have been in and around the time the Montreal Canadiens were playing the Washington Capitals in the first round. So this would have been 2010. This is, this is famously... This is famously the series that at the Hockey Night in Canada preview show, PJ Stock said as a prediction, Washington in three, to which Ron McLean said, it's a best of seven series. And PJ essentially said, I'm standing by it, Ron, Washington in three. That's how much it looked like. It's going to be a tilted rink for the Washington Capitals at that point. But then, you know, Carey Price and Mike Camilleri and Kirk Muller drawing it all up. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens shocked the Washington Capitals. But I can recall sitting there at the, the desk with, with uh, Morrison one night and Alan Walsh, and this might have been his first controversial tweet. I'd have to go back and look at his timeline going all the way back to 2010 and maybe before it. And it was a very casual, sly comparison of the numbers between Carey Price, who at that point was the young, hot, hungry goaltender, and his client, Yaroslav Halak. And in Alan's defense, Halak's numbers were better. Halak's numbers were better um, than Carey Price. Um, Walsh is back at it last night. 
with another tweet. Uh, I mentioned as well the Detroit Red Wings. We'll talk about them. They've now won five in a row. And as much as we look at the Eastern Conference and we'll look at Washington, and that was a tough one they lose last night, and Washington may just be bowing out of this thing. They got the, uh, the Stadium Series game this weekend, Saturday against the Carolina Hurricanes. Washington is not looking good. Pittsburgh looks okay. I think we're wondering who's going to jump up and grab that second wild card spot. Is it going to be the Buffalo Sabres? They have games in hand. Math looks good. Could it be the New York Islanders? I know they've lost uh, three games in a row, and it doesn't look good for them right now by way of math or performance. And now we're really starting to wonder about the Detroit Red Wings. I'm still skeptical. I'm still not sure that they have the depth to pull this thing off. But we've seen teams go on runs. The complicating thing for the Detroit Red Wings is they have a couple of players on expiring contracts, namely Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi. We'll get into all of this with Elliot Friedman in a couple of moments. Mike Russo from The Athletic will stop by. You want to talk about question marks and what do they do? Case in point, front and center of the Minnesota Wild. Uh, Gord Selleck stops by an hour or two. Joel Darling is going to come by an hour or two. Um, Joel, uh, executive producer from the NHL on Sportsnet, former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, his father, the legendary uh, late Ted Darling, longtime play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Sabres. Joel's going to talk about the passing of legendary and longtime Buffalo Sabres PR man, Paul Wieland, uh, who passed away yesterday after a bout of cancer. Uh, so we'll talk to Joel, and we also have the random play of the day coming up too. So plenty to get to. Thanks for joining me. Let's get things started. We're talking about the Walsh tweet in moments with Fridge. Here we go. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Did I mention as well, tomorrow's a great one on Hockey Night. It's the classic rivalry renewed in Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs. That one's 7 o'clock Eastern. And then a pair of games at 10 o'clock Eastern. The Vancouver Canucks face off against the Philadelphia Flyers. That was a stinker last night by the Orange. Kraken just having their way with Philadelphia. But... Round two, the Rangers and the Calgary Flames. And I know full well that whenever we build up games like this and make predictions about ambulances driving around the rink with the sirens on, a la Slapshot, and they're going to bring in Ogie Oglethorpe, etc., and Tim Dr. Hook McCracken, they tend to be letdowns. But there is a legit displeasure from the Calgary Flames towards the New York Rangers, whether it's Milan Lucic, whether it's Nazem Kadri, whether it's Dylan Dubé, take your pick. Front and center will be uh, Jacob Truba uh, in that game. So very much looking forward to that one. Speaking of the Calgary Flames, uh, the tweet heard around the hockey world by Alan Walsh yesterday, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Also, negativity sucks the joy right out of players. CC Calgary Flames. We'll start there with Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Fridge. How are you? Good morning, Jeff, or good afternoon, I guess. Good morning out west. Yes. Good afternoon out east and central. Well, they're waking up out west and they're saying, can you believe that Alan Walsh tweet last night? And I mentioned before you came on the, the first time that Alan Walsh, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but this was the first, I think the first experience we had with the, the, the Walsh tweet dagger. This is when Scott Morrison and I were doing the iDesk. You were working hockey night as you have forever. And Walsh sent out a tweet. This is before or maybe during the Montreal Canadiens Washington Capitals series would have been 2010. And mm-hmm. he very slyly <laughs> tweeted out a comparison of the stats for his client, Yaroslav Halak, versus Carey Price's. And Carey Price yeah. was, of course, the, gold, the golden child. And in Alan Walsh's defense, and I mentioned this as well, Halak had the better numbers, but we all knew what the score was. 
And yep. we can all recall the Marc-Andre Fleury tweet as well. And now we're greeted with this last night after the Calgary Flames lose another one, disappointingly, to the Detroit Red Wings. More on them in a couple of seconds. How did you see the tweet last night from Walsh? Um, well, you know, first of all, I think the one thing you always have to remember is that Walsh has maintained that he has never sent out a tweet like that with the approval of, without the approval of his client. Yep. That in every single one of those situations, um, uh, he, the client knows it's going to happen. Yep. So, like, that's, that's the first thing I always think of. Like, Halak knew, yep. and that one you mentioned, Fleury knew, and the other one you mentioned, uh, I remember one of his clients was uh, Patrick Eliash. Yep. And I remember talking about it with Eliash in New Jersey, and I said to him, you know, like, has it ever happened in Jersey? And, you know, Eliash kind of laughed about the idea of that happening under Lou Lamorello. <laughs> so it, it, it never happened. But... Even Elias said back then, like, you don't do that unless your client is okay with it. So that's the first thing I think of, that on some level, this is a shot, as much as Walsh puts his name on it, it's a shot from Huberto. So you you have to think about it like that. You know, I I think we all know that there are some problems out there. Um, You know, uh, Sutter's had some moments this year, uh, the Pelche thing, Uh, even last night, uh, he talked about, like, he was asked a question about, you know, the players showing no emotion. The goaltending didn't give him a, a chance. Like, you know, he's he's being pretty blunt about when it comes to some of his answers. And I do think this year, and we've talked about it at times, Jeff, mm-hmm. that Sutter's um, grinding nature, his heavy-handedness sometimes, I think it's played a role this year. I think it's been from very on early in the season – uh, I, I think it's been an issue. And, you know, I, I don't know where this is all going to go. Um, I mean, I think this, I, I do think the Flames have stepped back a little bit at the, at the deadline, thinking, is there any point in doing anything short term? I think everything they're considering has probably got a bit more of a, a, a longer term bent to it. Mm. And I think there's a realization that after the season, they might have to make some very hard decisions about where this is all going including the fact that general manager doesn't have a contract for next year yet. Um, but like, like, look, like we can all see it with our own eyes. It has not been a lot of fun this year yep. to play hockey in Calgary and it is wearing down everybody. I mean, the other thing I would say too, Jeff, is that, you know, if you like, sometimes I don't often look at replies, but I did look at some of the Oof. replies to this tweet. Yeah. And there are some fans there taking some pretty big runs at Huberto. Now, I think I think I understand a lot of things. Trade was a shock to the system. Um, the, the, the Flyers play, sorry, the Flyers, the Flames play much differently than Florida did. Yeah. He had a line that had great chemistry in Florida that he's struggling to find here. Um, but what it also does is it puts it, it puts the spotlight on the player too. So I think there's going to be two things that come out of this: how does Sutter deal with it, and how does Huberto deal with it? You know, it, it is interesting too because you know the Calgary Flames, as you know, Nashville continues to take themselves out of the uh, the postseason picture here. You know, right now it's kind of shaping up like it's a two-team race for that final wild card spot. And I know that Calgary's had their troubles, but so have the Minnesota Wild. I'm going to talk to Russo yeah. about them here at the bottom of the hour. So it, it's not as if the Calgary Flames 
don't have a chance and a real good one to make the postseason. And I understand, and listen, Daryl Sutter's talked about, oh, finishing eighth and just being cannon fodder for, he talked about this last year with the Avalanche, et cetera. I understand that idea, but it's not as if, you know, this team is, you know, the Anaheim Ducks and they're getting blown out and they're in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes here. I would have to imagine that for the Calgary Flames, like you're in, you're in spitting distance here of the playoffs. Like the, the idea of, I know you mentioned, maybe take a step back and pause and see what we have here. I don't know that you can afford to do that if you're Calgary, considering all the investments that you have made, whether it is Huberto, whether it is Uyghur, whether it is Nazem Kadri, considering what you've done, can you really afford to take a, even a step back or maybe even a pause? Well, I, I think you have to take a look at why things aren't working this year. Like, like you know, I, I do, like, I watch the Flames a lot. I, I don't, like, uh, I don't know how much you watch them, Jeff. I suspect you watch them a lot, too. I, uh, I, I watch the Flames a lot. And um, there is, they're definitely less than the sum of their parts. There's, yes, that's there, true. There, there's no question about that. And, and the other thing, too, like, you really notice this year, like, they had that huge blowout win in Buffalo a couple weeks ago on the Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And that was such a great afternoon for them because Pelche scored his first NHL goal and Dennis Gilbert scored. It wasn't his first NHL goal, but he scored it basically at home. Like yeah. he's a, he's a Western New York guy and he scored there and just the joy on all those players faces. And, you know, I was really thinking Calgary has not had a lot of games like that this year mm-hmm. where it looked like that group was having a ton of fun. And, you know, the other thing that happens is they give up a lot of early goals. And, again, last night they scored the first goal. Then what was it, like three minutes later, Detroit had tied it? Yep. I see a lot of games the Flames play where there's a big swing of emotion against them after they've done something that should be good for them. And I I just see a team that, like, Daryl Sutter's teams have always been tough, mentally and physically. I see a team this year that, like, really has bent in in tough mental moments. And and that's not his kind of team. Mm -hmm. And it's also, like, I just think it's been a really unfun year at times for Calgary. And it's not, it shouldn't be fun when you're losing. I just think it's, I, I think they really have to take, look, like, last summer was a big shock to the system, as I said. It's like it's like a big breakup, right? They had two, and yeah. sometimes it takes you a while to get over a, a breakup. Not me, like that's never been a problem for me, of course, Jeff. But <laughs> I know Lance Romance over here. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it, it takes a long time, and and like I see a team that's still reeling from it, and yeah. like and, and and I just wonder at the end of the year, like you know, like are are we gonna have, um, I I just wondering if our, at the end of the year there's going to be a lot of conversations about like who stays and who goes like up and down. Like it's just, Hmm. if this doesn't sort itself out, they're going to have some really hard decisions to make. Uh, They they really will. You know, the the one thing that I, that I wonder about too, and I I do want to ask you about the Detroit Red Wings, who I thought looked great again. I think we all did. And ask you about Larkin and Bertuzzi here in a couple of seconds. When we're talking about Daryl Sutter, we've seen other hard-nosed coaches before, and right away the first one that jumps to mind is John Tortorella in Philadelphia. Now, I think that Tortorella is one of the most brilliant coaches in the NHL. 
Um, he understands when to use the stick and when to use the carrot. We talked about this on the podcast not too long ago. That at the beginning of the season, it was, you know, the condemnation of, of Cam York and down to Lehigh Valley and you got to learn, kid, and spot and all that kind of stuff. He comes up after 30 games and Torts can't stop singing his praises. I know last night was a tough one, though, against the Seattle Crack, and I get that. But he's done the same thing with Rasmus Ristolainen. He's done this with a lot of those kids. So the, when I look at Sutter, I say, all right, you can have the hard-nosed approach. Other coaches do. But what can really distinguish you is when you can soften to help someone. And I see Tortorella doing that in a really challenging situation with Philadelphia. But I really don't see that at all happening with the Calgary Flames. And I'm glad you mentioned the Pelletier situation because I think, you know, when Sutter did what he did and grabbed the game sheet and what's his number and, you know, embarrassed the kid after his first NHL game, I don't think it just affected Pelletier for each. I think it affected everyone in that room because they all had their first game once upon a time too. You know what someone told me? that Someone told me there wasn't a player under 25 in the NHL who didn't notice that. Yep, I believe it. Yeah. Okay, um, Detroit Red Wings, meanwhile, have now won five games in a row, are only a couple of points away from a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you and I talked about this on the podcast that came out this morning. I'm still skeptical about this. I don't know if the Wings have the depth, but uh, I cheer for fun. I cheer for chaos, and this team is a lot of fun to watch right now, and I think the NHL is always better when a team like the Detroit Red Wings are good. Mm-hmm. And right now, Elliot, the Detroit Red Wings are good. They really are. They are like Larkin's on fire since everybody was asking about his contract. So maybe that's his way of getting everyone to stop talking. Yeah. Um, Bertuzzi's been really good too. The thing I'm wondering, like you pointed out, like the the bottom of the West right now in terms of that race, you know, it's really four teams for two spots. Like I refuse to believe Colorado isn't going to figure this out, but you've got them, Minnesota, Calgary, and Nashville. And, and Calgary can't go through the central. So it's, you know, but as you said, like some of those teams are just crawling towards the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if in any way St. Louis is going to make a race of this, but okay. So, but then in the East, you've got all of a sudden, you've got Pittsburgh with very good math and Washington scrambling. But now you've got Florida making a run. You've got Detroit making a run. You've got Buffalo making a run. And Detroit and Buffalo have big-time games in hand. Like, this is what you want to see, is you want to see races. And Detroit is creating a race. And uh, I, think they're, I think they're really fun to watch. Like, when those guys are all going, it's, they're a really fun team to watch. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing... I, I want them to stay in it. I, I want it to be fun. I want there to be races. Like, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we have in April, like late in April, I think we have a Red Wings Leafs regional. Since I worked those, I want those hmm. games to matter. Um, I, I hope Detroit keeps it going. Like, the other thing, too, is you've got to like this. Like, at the beginning of every year, how many teams say we want to be playing meaningful games? Yeah. Well, here we are. We're in the second week of February and the Red Wings are playing meaningful games. Well, this is what Iserman had in mind all last season when he was signing, whether it was, you know, Andrew Kopp or David Perron and, like, bringing in more veteran guys, Ben Sherratt, um, you know, going to make the uh, the play for, for Vili Husso. 
you know, this is what Eiserman was talking about because at what point last season did we say, you know, these Red Wings players, specifically the young guys, they're getting nothing out of this season right now. The team has mm-hmm. quit. The games are awful. Uh, you know, they, they go through the motions. And at this point, it's actually hurting the development of a lot of these players. But now, whether they make it or not, whether they make the postseason or not, at least the younger players that this thing is being built around, built around are getting the experience of what a full season should feel like. And mm-hmm. I think that's real important. I really do. That's I why agree. I think that those 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 tear down, take it down to the nuts and bolts rebuilds are really bad for obviously the um, you know for for the present, but also for the future. Because I think you need like I think Clayton Keller, for example, in Arizona. Like, when's the last time he felt what a real regular season felt like? Because at a certain Probably point, the, the season's bubble. over. Probably the, the bubble, bubble, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. these guys, like they need to feel what eighty-two games really feels like, whether you make mm-hmm. it or not. But you need to be right there till the end. Um, okay, so the Detroit Red Wings. So when we when it comes to the Wings, the two players that are front and center, and I do want to throw. And we talked about Jake Wallman the other day here on the show. Whether it's Tyler Bertuzzi or Dylan Larkin, there are big decisions on the horizon for Steve Eiserman. Based on Eiserman's track record, because all we can do is sort of say, all right, based on what we've seen from Eiserman before in Tampa and a little bit in Detroit, here's what we think he's thinking, or here's what we think he's going to do. Put yourself in the brain of Steve Eiserman if you can. What's going on with the big two? Larkin, Bertuzzi. Excuse me. I'm thinking about being in the brain of Steve Eisenman. I started uh, uh, started coughing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the things I think there is. Look, I am of the belief that if Steve Eisenman really thought he wasn't going to be able to sign Dylan Larkin, he would have traded him last summer before the no trade clause kicked in. Yeah. And I do think that was on the table. I, I had heard that at the time. So the moment that Eisenman let that pass without a deal. I was thinking he's going to sign him. Now, look, it's obvious that the two sides aren't aren't that close enough to make a deal. I think Larkin's got a higher ask. I think Eiserman's got a lower give. I think that they have. Um, I, I think that they have decided that for now they're going to let this play out. Um, I think that Larkin is hoping that the Horvat number eight times eight point five. Will move them closer uh, to uh, move them closer to where he wants to go. I, I think I mentioned this to you on a show earlier this week, and I, I meant to put it in the blog, and I didn't. But I was asking a bunch of agents, like how how can how far can you push Eiserman? Mm. And one guy was like half a million dollars. Like, that was the best <laughs> I ever got. So, like I like uh. at the end of the day, like Jeff, at the end of the day, you just have to show me. Like this is the one thing even agents have told me before. When you're searching for another deal or you don't like the deal you're being offered, what you have to do is you have to go around and you have to say, okay, if you don't take this or you're not here, these are the situations where I think we can get something, whether it's comparable or more or less or what. Like, how are you going to feel about all those situations? And the one thing I look at is where out there is Dylan Larkin going to get paid where he's going to be happier than Detroit? And I think that's kind of what that that's the question I have hanging out there. Bertuzzi to me, like I think there's a lot of interest in Bertuzzi. I think there's worry about his injury history, but yeah. he's on a tear right now, and I think there's a lot of interest in him. I just for me, 
The only question I have is only question I, I, I wonder is, does Eiserman say, look, we've, for the first time in a long time, we're in a playoff race here. And do I just wait this out a couple more weeks? But I put it this way. Like, like I know there are teams, like, for example, there's teams out there who think Tampa's interested. Yep. And, you know, someone, like, one of the other teams in the East is like, oh, God, I'd hate to see him end up there because I think he'd be perfect there. Mm-hmm. And the more he sees, like, he sent me a note this morning, every time Bertuzzi scores or has a big night, he's like, I think that it becomes too expensive for Tampa Bay to get him. And he's very happy with that. <laughs> so, like, like I just think that like play speaks and Bertuzzi's on a tear. Yeah. Um, okay. I wanna I wanna end with this bit. Um, let's go back to February the sixth. The New York Rangers and the Calgary Flames. The Rangers win this one in overtime. Uh, paraphrase yourself here. What was your tweet that night about that game? Oh, uh, the Rangers game was that maybe that was the best game all year. Now we're going to get the return. Now we're going to get the sequel tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada. We talked about it afterwards. Uh, We talked about the hit and the fights and the animosity and the anger. And now we have a Calgary Flames team that's been put on blast by one of the more high-profile agents in the NHL. Uh, The coach has been put on blast. Um, Fans have put, you know, uh, the coach on blast or Huberto on blast. Yep. A lot of questions swirling around, and Saturday night, the New York Rangers come to town. Yep. I don't want to say this is going to be a make-or-break game for the season, but it feels like one of those games where if it goes one of two ways, we can really read into what this Calgary Flames team is about. I don't want I to put, that's fair. I don't want to put too much on one game, but they are getting... Like they are getting, they're a pin cushion right now. The Calgary Flames are. Everyone's throwing, everyone's sticking a pin in right now in the Calgary Flames. And the team that just, they had this game of the year against, and Jacob Truba was running around, smashing everybody in a Calgary Flames uniform. And, you know, Sammy Blaze not there anymore. He's now in St. Louis, but Lucic has got to be angry as well and bring that into Saturday night, too. I can't wait to see what his walk in the arena uniform looks like. You've talked about that before. I'm guessing he goes all black that's what he does when he's angry. What do you look for Saturday between the Calgary Flames and the New York Rangers? This might be the most, uh, the most anticipated rematch so far this season of any two teams. Well, I think, I think that, as you said, you shouldn't need to get up for this one. You know, and the other thing, too, is remember what Giordano said to us this week. That oh, yeah. And the, the, when we asked him about, he, he said he texted Lucic after that game. And I said, you know, we joked, like, did you ask him how Sammy Blay was able to knock him over? And Jordan <laughs> laughed and said, I'm not, I'm not telling you what his reply was, but yeah. he wasn't happy. Yeah. Like, you don't, like, you, you don't need anyone. You shouldn't need any motivation to get up for this one. And I think you're right. Like, after everything that's happened this week in the last 24 hours, last 12 hours, really, yeah. you know, you, you would expect the, the Flames to come out and just try to establish dominance over them right away. And if it doesn't happen, I, I can tell you this. Like, I know, like, BX is working tomorrow night. I know what he'd think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know Kelly watches them all the time. And I, I know what he'd think. Um. You know, I, I think this, like, if they don't come out tomorrow night and show a lot of emotion and show a lot of will, 
we're all going to be looking at it like, what are we looking at? That's a whopper. Uh, Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow, one of three games. Uh, the Calgary Flames and the New York Rangers, uh, that one at 10 o'clock Eastern. Also late, the Flyers facing off against the Vancouver Canucks, that one at 10 o'clock Eastern, and the early game, the classic rivalry, the Habs and the Maple Leafs. All right, uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday. Any any news? I haven't been watching you the last half hour. Any news out of Edmonton about what yeah, they're going to do? Put, uh, they did what I think a lot of us expected. They activated... Yamamoto from LTIR, and they sent uh, Dayarnay and Holloway down. Holloway down. Okay. Uh, you know, I think it's an imperfect solution. I do. Uh, but, uh, like, one of the things I've heard is that the Oilers have suffered a lot of injuries, yeah. and they're not really crazy about losing I get players it. For, I, for nothing. I get it. That yes. I, it's, it's, it's not ideal. Um, it's a, it, it's a, a roster protection. It's an asset management move. I get it. Uh, I'll just be blunt. But it just kind of sucks, Rage. It just really does uh, mm-hmm. for players that don't deserve it. Anyhow, um, the path of least resistance is the one usually taken. Uh, okay, yes. thanks, Rage. Like me, like like me coming on this show every day. <laughs> it's your contractual <laughs> obligation, sir. Uh, we pay you That's exactly right. uh, zero dollars to come on this program. <laughs> uh, thanks, bud. You be well. I'll see you on Hockey Thank Night tomorrow. Much. There he is, Elliot Friedman from Thirty Two Thoughts uh, and Hockey Night in Canada.